everyone, and welcome to another episode of Building Voices, a CMS podcast looking at key themes in construction, court decisions, and talking to those in the know about the industry. My name is Anne Thompson, and I'm an associate in the Infrastructure, Construction and Energy Disputes team, ICE Disputes, based in the Sheffield office. Today, I'm joined by Emma Hutchinson, another associate in the ICE Disputes team here in Sheffield. Emma has acted on a number of high-value domestic construction matters for both employers and contractors, resolving disputes through litigation, adjudication, and alternative dispute resolution procedures. Emma has joined me today to speak about termination notices and the importance of getting them right. So, Emma, I understand that there have been a number of cases this year dealing with termination notices. So what are the headlines coming from those cases? Hi, Anne. Yes, you're right. Um, So there have been three cases in the Technology and Construction Court this year that show how important it is for employers to ensure they strictly follow the terms of the contract when serving termination notices. And those cases were Struthers and Another and Davis, trading as Alistair Davis Building and Another, Thomas Barnes and Sons PLC and Blackburn with Darwin Borough Council and Manico Living Limited and RY Construction Limited. And um, what these cases have all demonstrated is that a failure to comply with the strict requirements of the contract may result not only in the contractual termination itself failing, but also the potential for the failed notice to become evidence of a repudiatory breach by the employer um, and the consequences that that then entails. And just to let our listeners know that the detail and links to those cases will all be included on the Building Voices pages so you can look them up at your leisure later on. So turning back to the cases, were there any unifying features? Yep. So all of the cases considered determination provisions under the unamended JCT 2016 standard and design and build forms of contract or similar. And so what do those provisions say about termination? Well, each of the cases actually looked at different parts of the JCT 2016 contracts. So um, the Thomas Barnes and Blackburn case looked at the contractual notice provisions at clauses 1.7.3 and 1.7.4. And these dictate where and how notices should be served. So clauses 1.7.3 and 1.7.4 set out that a termination notice is deemed to be served if it's delivered by hand or sent in the post by recorded signed for or special delivery. Um, The notice should be served at the recipient's address as set out in the contract, unless that address has been notified as changed by the recipient. And if an address isn't detailed or known in the contract, it should be sent to the recipient's last known principal business address or their registered business address. So the Thomas Barnes case uh, provided that nothing less or different than the requirements in those clauses would suffice for the purposes of a termination notice. In the court's view, was the uh, that the importance of strict compliance was obvious um, because of the consequences of a notice not being received by the contractor. So any non-trivial departure from the strict requirements would invalidate the notice. So delivery to the site, which was an own address that the contractor was based at, was deemed to not be sufficient for service in this case. Um, and it would only be sufficient if the contractor had actually expressly notified the employer that notices could be sent to that address in advance. Okay, so extra care needed for delivering the notice in the form specified, but who has to serve the notice under the 2016 JCT form of contract? So that was a point that was looked at in the Struthers and Davis case, um, and that actually related to an RIBA form of contract, but the wording of the relevant clauses was materially the same 
um, as clause 8.4.1 of the unamended JCT standard form. Um, so as a recap, the standard form of the JCT 2016 contract at clause 8.4.1 says that the architect or the contract administrator has to serve the notice um, and under the design and build form, uh, the same clause specifies that it has to be the employer that serves the notice. So in the Struthers and Davis case, um, the judge noted that termination clauses themselves should be construed strictly and found that whilst the language surrounding who actually serves the notice isn't mandatory, there are sound reasons for requiring the initial notice to come from the correct person as per the contract. So in this case, it was the contract administrator um, and that there was no relevant authority to suggest otherwise. OK, so again, what we're getting from the cases is that the courts aren't going to listen to any excuses about not following the contract to the letter. Um, so we have the where and who of notices. What about a very important topic? When should the notice be served? So it's probably important to remember that under clause 1.7.4 of the JCT forms, um, a notice is deemed to be served two days after posting it. So if we look at the Thomas Barnes case, um, in that case, the employer sent a notice of termination by email and by post at the same time um, and removed the contractor from the site on the same day that both the notices were sent. Um, the email notice was contractually ineffective because it didn't meet the service requirements that we've already talked about. Um, the notice sent by post was effective, but it only took effect two business days later. So two business days after the employer had actually removed the contractor from the site. OK, so we have the where, the who and the when. Uh, now we need to understand what the contents of the notice should be. OK, so under the JCT 2016 form, uh, clause 8.4.1 sets out um, that the contractor should be given a notice specifying the default or defaults. Um, and these possible defaults are listed at clause 8.4.1. And these include suspension of the works, a failure to proceed regularly and diligently, a refusal or neglect to comply with a notice or instruction and or a failure to comply with either clauses 3.7, 7.1 or 3.23 of the standard form or clauses 3.3, 7.1 or 3.16 of the design and build form. Well, I'm certainly feeling more educated in terms of termination notices now. Um, but what happens if I get it wrong, as so many employers do? So the most serious of consequences of an incorrectly served termination notice is that the failed notice then becomes evidence of a repudiatory breach by the employer. And that would then allow the contractor to terminate the contract and claim damages for the same. That being said, um, service of an invalid termination notice by the employer doesn't always amount to repudiation um, in circumstances where the employer has a right to terminate the contract and expressly accepts the contractor's repudiatory breach. So in the Thomas Barnes case, um, the employer included in their contractual termination notice, wording to the effect that it was entitled to accept and therefore did accept the contractor's repudiatory breach. Um, the judge, when they were looking at it, therefore decided that even if the employer was actually in repudiatory breach by failing to terminate the contract in accordance with the notice provisions, this wouldn't actually assist the contractor um, because by the time the contractor purported to accept um, the, the notice um, as a repudiatory breach, the employer had already successfully accepted the contractor's prior repudiatory breach. 
And a similar approach was actually taken by the court in the Struthers case as well. Um, so this was because the contractor was refusing to purchase materials for the works. They were using materials the employer had paid for on other jobs and they were failing to progress the works. So there were quite a few things wrong with that particular contractor's works. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the contractor was deemed to be in repudiatory breach of the contract for those um, particular things. And therefore, the judge considered that the failed notice to terminate operated as the employer's acceptance of the contractor's repudiatory breach. Um, what it is important to note, though, is that both the Thomas Barnes and the Struthers cases are very fact specific. Um, and the third case that we've talked about today, the Manico Living case, serves as a warning um, as the contractor's renunciation in this case was not plain enough to be deemed to constitute a repudiatory breach of contract. So when the employer denied the contractor access to the site after service of a failed termination notice, the employer actually put themselves in repudiatory breach and then the contractor accepted that in correspondence. Well, I consider myself sufficiently warned about making sure I advise clients and especially employers to really read their contracts and to follow termination provisions to the letter. Um, thank you very much, Emma, for that interesting review of this year's key termination cases. Thank you very much for having me, Anne. Uh, we hope you all join us again for future episodes of the Building Voices podcast. Thank you all for listening. Music.